Happy Mother's Day, every one of you. Um, on behalf of all of us who are not mothers, we're so thankful for all of you and what you do and put up with the rest of us. Amen. So it's a great day to celebrate that. If you get your Bibles out, if you would, please, go to 1 John chapter 3. 1 John chapter 3, we've been looking at this verse here the last couple of weeks. You can follow also on the screen here with me. I'm going to read out the message here this morning. It says, my dear children, let's not just talk about love. Let's practice real love. This is the only way we'll know we're living, truly living in God's reality. It's also the way to shut down debilitating self-criticism, even when there's something to it. For God is greater than our worried hearts and knows more about us than we do ourselves. And friends, once it's taken care of, we're no longer accusing or condemning ourselves. We're bold and free before God. We're able to stretch out our hands Stretch our hands out and receive what we asked for because we're doing what he said, doing what pleases him. Again, this is God's command to believe in his personally named son, Jesus Christ. He told us to love each other in line with the original command. As we keep his commands, we live deeply and surely in him, and he lives in us. And this is how we experience his deep and abiding presence in us by the spirit he gave us. Well, I've been talking about how in the last couple of weeks, how this is such an interesting passage to me because it, it describes something that most of us are familiar with, and that is there's all these different realities that are vying for our attention. There's the reality of what culture says. There's the reality of our, what our emotions say, what our thoughts say, what our hormones say. There's the reality of what your friends and family say. There's even the reality of what the devil says. All these are voices that are constantly bombarding us, vying for us to align ourselves with their reality. But just like this verse describes... There's also God's reality, which means every single moment of the day, you have a choice. And it's really important for us to understand that we have a choice, and that choice is by which reality are we going to live our lives. In this moment, I'm going to really believe what God says about me, or I'm going to believe somebody else's reality. Every moment of the day, we have a choice. We've been doing this series around here called We Believe. And what we're doing is that we're going through the Nicene Creed, and it's up here on the screen. Let me just ask you here to read it out loud with me. Say this with me. We believe in one God, Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, of all that is seen and unseen. We believe in one Lord, Jesus Christ, the only Son of God, eternally begotten of the Father, God from God, light from light true God from true God, begotten, not made, of one being with the Father. Through him all things were made. For us and for our salvation he came down from heaven, was incarnate of the Holy Spirit and the Virgin Mary, and became truly human. For our sake he was crucified under Pontius Pilate. He suffered death and was buried. On the third day he rose again in accordance with the Scriptures. He ascended into heaven and is seated at the right hand of the Father. He will come again in glory to judge the living and the dead, and his kingdom will have no end. We believe in the Holy Spirit, the Lord, the giver of life, who proceeds from the Father and the Son. With the Father and the Son, he is worshiped and glorified, who has spoken through the prophets. We believe in one holy, worldwide, and apostolic church. We acknowledge one baptism for the forgiveness of sins. We look for the resurrection of the dead and the life of the world to come. Amen. 
And so this is the Nicene Creed. And we've been talking about how this came about because in the year 325, the Roman Emperor Constantine convened this council in Nicaea to try to thwart the impending, um, all the heretical things that were happening in the church at that time. Because back in the second and third century, there was a rise of heretical teachings and all these humanistic philosophies that began to come right into the church. And as you recall, and I've said this before, that uh, obviously most people, the average people didn't have a Bible back then. And so even though they were coming to church, they were, the assumption was that they were going to be taught biblical truth, but because there was so much heretical teachings, there's so much humanistic philosophies, that unknowingly they were embracing all this humanistic philosophy and all this heretical teaching because they couldn't go back to Scripture and to read for themselves what Scripture said. They, couldn't, they didn't know that what they were hearing, what they were being taught, didn't align itself up with biblical truth. And so it was out of this council in Nicaea in 325 AD that came this Nicene Creed. And each one of these are biblically sound statements that were in specifically intended to address and counter these heretical teachings and these humanistic philosophies that were so prevalent at that time. And that's exactly what happened. The creed began to turn the tide of, of this um, kind of slippery slope of deception that was overwhelming the church during that time. And, and again, because they still, they still didn't have Bibles, the individual still didn't have a Bible, but at least they could come to church like here on Sunday and they could recite and declare and proclaim this creed. And what that began to do is establish them and create a value system and a, and a way of being able to then interpret and understand what was being said in culture all around them, all the heretical things and humanistic philosophies, at least when they would come together, it would ground them in these biblical truths. And so if you jump forward 1,700 years to where we are here today, in my opinion, not much has changed. We are probably as biblically illiterate as we were 1,700 years ago, even though the, the average Christian has 4.4 Bibles. Even though we have access to Scripture, we still don't read it. We still don't absorb it. We still don't live our lives by it. And so as a result, there's counterfeits and there's heretical things happening all around us. There's deception happening all around us. And so the question becomes, who are you listening to? Who are you listening to? What is it that you're embracing? Because the only insurance against counterfeits is to immerse yourself in truth. That's, the only, that's really the only anecdote to to being able to withstand all these heretical things, and all these counterfeits and all these deceptions. Because the more you surround yourself in truth, the more you'll be able to discern the counterfeit. And so what we've been doing is we're going through line by line each of these different statements in the Nicene Creed. So we're here at the sixth section. So let's look at this. It says, we believe in one holy worldwide and apostolic church. Say that with me. We believe in one holy worldwide and apostolic church. Now, if you have your Bible, go over to John chapter 17, John chapter 17, because here in this chapter, Jesus is praying. He's praying in the Garden of Gethsemane, and it's right before his arrest, it's right before his crucifixion, and he begins to pray. And when you think about this prayer, I want you to try to put in perspective what was going on here. But here in verse 20, it says, my prayer is not for them alone. I pray also for those who will believe in me through their message that all of them may be one. Father, just as you are in me and I am in you, may they also be in us so that the world may believe that you have sent me. I have seen, I've given them the glory that you gave me, that they may be one as we are one. I in them and you in me. May they be brought to complete unity to let the world know that you sent me and have loved them even as you have loved me. If you didn't know, this, it's these verses that our name as a church, One Chapel, come from. And here, 
Jesus is praying, and when you think about it, he knows of this impending thing that's going to happen. He knows it in his heart. He knows it in his spirit. This is a, this, all this stuff that was now in Scripture, all the flogging, all the, the trial and the crucifixion and his death, but the, ultimately his resurrection. And when you think about all the things he could have prayed, it's pretty interesting what he puts his focus on. Because I don't know about you, but if I know all the stuff's about ready to happen, I'm going to spend a lot of time praying for me. Uh, I can't hardly think about anything else except for what's going to happen to me. So you would think all of his prayers would be centered around him, or you'd think all of his prayers would be centered around those 11 that were left that hadn't yet denied him, that you'd think that his focus would be just simply on them, that they wouldn't forsake him, that they would still be able to withstand what was about ready to come. But that's not what he puts his focus on. His prayer is dominated by one single great thought, and that is the unity of his disciples. That is his one great central um, theme here in these verses is the unity of his disciples. And the reason for this is because Jesus understood that the world was not going to be changed if his disciples, if his followers weren't united. It was impossible for this message to continue to, to thrive and to go throughout every corner of the world unless the believers would rally together and be united under the lordship of Jesus Christ. And, and Jesus understood that, but you know who else understands that? The devil. The devil understands that as well. And so for the last 2,000 years, the devil's worked really hard to create division and offense within the believer's hearts within churches. Because here's the thing, if the devil can get you offended, if the devil can get you concentrated on all the differences that we have here, when you think about this room, it's filled with differences, right? It is hard to come together and try to be one and to come under the lordship of Jesus Christ when all you see are differences, Everyone here, there are differences here. Even though we're in one room, we're speaking basically one language here, there's still all these differences. And so the devil understands if he can create a fence in your heart towards somebody else within the church, if he can get you focused and distracted on some of the differences, your own preferences, your own ideas, your own ways of doing things, and if you can get distracted by how other people do things differently, is that me? Wow, it feels like it's coming from behind me. That's so weird. But if he can get you to do that, then the end result is that you're like a pawn that comes off the board. And you're no longer in the game. And that is his objective, is to wipe you out so you're no longer a part of God's kingdom and what he's doing here in the world. And so that's why it's so imperative that this becomes a value that, becomes a, that we establish this in us that there is, we believe in one holy, worldwide, and apostolic church. And I want to describe practically what that means here this morning. The first thing is, number one, this is bigger than you and me. <laughs> this is bigger than you and me. So often what we end up doing is we fall into the trap of looking at God and what he is doing based upon what's happening around me. In other words, if I've never seen God heal someone, then my conclusion is that God no longer heals today. If I personally have never heard God's voice, then my conclusion is God's no longer speaking today. If I've never experienced or seen somebody raised from the dead, then my conclusion is that God's no longer doing signs and wonders and miracles in the world today. We tend to focus on what's happening to me instead of being able to see a bigger picture of what is going on because God is much bigger than what's going on just in your life. 
And we need to get that through our egotistical American brains that God is bigger than Texas and what's happening here. God is bigger than the United States and what's happening here in our nation. God is so much bigger than that. And that's why it's imperative that we look and see what God's doing around the world. And so you're going to hear me say this a lot. It's important that you go on mission trips. If you don't have your passport, as your pastor, let me ask you to do something. Go get your passport. Because our call is to go. And if you don't go, you're not going to see what God is doing around the world. And your view of God is going to get very, very small. Because God is doing spectacular things in our generation all around the world. One of the missionaries that we support here in one chapel, his name is Britt Hancock. And he's part of a ministry organization called Mountain Gateway, which is just headquartered over in Dripping. And he's one of the missionaries in the mission organization that we sponsor and we give to every single month. And one of the things that they do is they minister into the, the indigenous people in Mexico. And over the past 20 years, they have seen over 100,000 medically documented healings. Over 100,000 medically documented healings. They've also seen over 200 people raised from the dead who have been medically verified. Did you hear me? Over 200 people have been medically documented. They've been raised from the dead. He says this. He says, we've seen every class of miracle except a river or ocean parting here in Mexico. The difference between us and you people in America is that we go and stay longer than most people. There's more power than you can imagine in obedience. We pray for the sick. The law of averages is in our favor. We pray for everyone who will let us. 10% of the dead people who we pray for get raised up. Now, you might say, that's not a very high percentage. Well, at least we have a percentage. (laughs) You've got to be around dead people to get dead people up. You can't raise the dead if you're not around around people who are dead. Isn't that fantastic? I want you to expand your thinking of what God can and cannot do. And break free from your little mindset of what you personally have experienced because God is much bigger than you and me. In Habakkuk chapter 1 verse 5, it says, Look at the nations and watch and be utterly amazed for I'm going to do something in your days that you could not believe even if you were told. God is doing and calling unprecedented numbers of people to himself in our day today, all across the world. And there are more miracles that are happening across the world today than ever before in history. I have a video I want you to watch. Let's watch this. We humbly seek your face. We trust you, hear our Come touch the barren places So many here are dry Fill every hungry heart Heal every wounded soul Have mercy, Lord, revive Let your spirit wind from heaven blow. Pure 
hearts are full of faith and all your wonders will be seen when all we truly long for is resting at your feet the door is open Striving has no place Give us a revelation Lord, let us see your face Let your spirit fall Wind from heaven You hear what I'm saying? It's a little bit bigger than you and me, isn't it? And so when we declare we believe in one holy worldwide and apostolic church, what we're describing is that this is bigger than you and me. And I got to get out of myself and I got to get out of this thinking of God in just a small little thing and what I'm personally experiencing right here and right now. God is doing amazing things in our world today. The second thing that practically means, number two, you are a part of a worldwide body of believers. You're part of a worldwide body of believers. The Apostle Paul describes it this way in 1 Corinthians 12, starting in verse 12. He says, this body is a unit that is made up of many parts, and though all parts are many, they form one body. So it is with Christ. For we were all baptized in one spirit into one body, whether Jews or Greeks, slaves or free, and we are all given the spirit to drink. 
Now the body is not made up of one part, but many. If the foot should say, because I'm not a hand, I do not belong to the body, it would not be for that reason cease to be part of the body. And if the ear should say, because I'm not an eye, I do not belong to the body, it would not for that same reason cease to be part of the body. If the whole body were an eye, where would the sense of hearing be? If the whole body was an ear, where would the sense of smell be? But in fact, God has arranged the parts of the body, every one of them, just as he wanted them to be. If they were all one part, where would the body be? As it is, there are many parts, but one body. The eye cannot say to the hand, I don't need you. And the head cannot say to the feet, I don't need you. On the contrary, those parts of the body that seem to be weaker are indispensable. And the parts that think are less honorable, we treat with special honor. And the parts that are unpresentable, we are treated with special modesty. All the presentable parts need no special treatment. But God has combined the members of the body and has given greater honor to the parts that lacked it. So that there should be no division in the body, but that his parts should have equal concern for each other. If one part suffers, every part suffers with it. If one part is honored, every part rejoices with it. Now you are the body of Christ, and each one of you is a part of it. It's so important that we understand that there's a, a larger grouping of people than just right here in this room, that we're part of a worldwide community of believers, of followers of Jesus Christ. And the, and the Apostle Paul, he's describing that like, it, like we're a body, the pieces of a body coming together. And he says, when one part of the body is honored, we should all rejoice. And he said, when one part of the body suffers, then we all suffer. I want you to think about that just in the natural just a little bit, because if I were to hit my thumb with a hammer, I don't, I don't say that it's my thumb, that it's just my thumb that hurts. When I hit my thumb, it affects my whole body, doesn't it? Come on, everybody who's hurt yourself, you know how it affects every part of who you are. And so, and so when I, when I, if I, one part of my body is affected, it, all the others are affected because we're all connected. Every part of this body is still connected to one body. Does that make sense? And so what does it tell us then that when one part of our body and the body of Christ suffers and we don't feel it? What does that tell us? It should tell us then all of a sudden I've reduced this Christian thing as being a follower of Jesus Christ to my thumb. That I am a thumb and I've disconnected this thumb off of the body and all I am is I'm just wandering out there by myself. We've messed it up here because that's not the way it's supposed to be. This Christian thing is not about me. It's not about my thumb. It's a part of a bigger picture here. I have another video I want you to watch. Watch this one. I've never been protected from my church. Six. Some of them went to church. My dad, my mom, and the children were four. We sing praises. We pray for the peace of the nation. Then we pray for those persecuted Christians. 
close down nine now family during the prayer section when the attack happened My eyes was closed. I screamed. So, but by the time I opened my eyes, I saw everywhere like it's fire. I was thinking that maybe so many people would die in the church. Everybody was crying, shouting. I started feeling something. I was shivering. It was cold. I did not realize it was a bullet that spilled through. I saw people on the floor. Some are dead and some are crying. There's blood around them. Their bodies. People are shouting Jesus. That was the only thing I heard. Some people shouted Jesus. My younger brother shot him on the chest. His name is Tito. And he died at the age of 10. I think there are 18 people that they are shot and 12 are dead. I saw my father bleeding seriously both from the thigh. He's always kind, always tell us to read the Bible and be close to God. And that was the last time I saw him. It's not dead. Definitely one day I'll go So are we hurting? Absolutely, right? And for us to reduce this just to what you and, and, and me, what, I, what we're experiencing means that we're, we're not valuing, we don't really believe in one holy worldwide and apostolic church. 
Because to believe that means that we're a part of a larger grouping, a worldwide grouping of believers. And we need to allow God to work in our hearts to show us that there's a larger body that we're a part of. And then here's the third thing that this practically means. And that is we have a joint mission to complete. We have a joint mission to complete. In Matthew chapter 28, starting in verse 18, it says, Then Jesus came to them and said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. If you're taking notes, I want you to underline the two words, all nations. Those two words, all nations, in the original Greek language are the words ta ethne, which means all ethnic groups, all people groups. And so Jesus said, go and make disciples of all ethnic groups, all people groups. In our world today, there are 196 nations in the world, 196 nations. And in those 196 nations, there are over 16,000 distinct people groups, over 16,000. In those 16,000 people groups, around 6,900 of those people groups are what are called unreached people groups, which means this. In those people groups, only about 2, 2% have any sort of, about, there's only about a 2% um, evangelical presence in that population. And so that means there's over 3 billion people that are in those 6,900 people groups. In those 6,900 people groups, in those, in those people groups, only there's 3,000 that are called unengaged people groups, 3,000. And in those 3,000 people groups, there are no churches, there's no believers, there's no missionaries, and there's no pastors actively trying to reach those people groups. I have one more video for you. Watch this. الشعب الدروز الموحدين عم يحاولوا عم يحاولوا بقدر المستطاع يبحثوا عن الفرح والسلام في دياتون لكن للاسف الشديد ما في فرح وسلام غير عند ربي يسوع المسيح بدين الإسلامي وعملوا كتاب معين فهن فعلا مغلقين وصعب اختراقهم جدا يعني حتى للشخص أنا قلبي انشغل فيهم كتير بأنه شفتهم جماعة كتير طيبين ولبقين بالكلام وبيرحبوا بالواحد وبيسهلوا بالواحد 
وشفته بنفس الوقت نظرة ثانية بأنه هني كثير 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 ضايعين لهذا السبب انشغل قلبي على الدروز وحبيت اصلي لرب يسوع يا رب هالناس كثير طيبين يا رب لكن مش عرفانين وين رايحين بالقصر كله يا رب فارجوك يا يسوع وجيت لهذا المكان طيب يا رب انت ليش جبتني لهون مشان عائلة وحدة بس اعطيني اعطيني بانه موهبة من عندك يا رب لانه انا بقواي يا رب انا فشلت ما في سمر يا رب يوم من الايام عم شوف انه الباب عمال يخبط فتحت الباب شفت ناس ما بعرفهم مين انتم؟ قال نحن في عندنا مريض مريض بدك تجي تصلي من اجله فانا رحت معهم على البيت وشفت المريضه بالبيت ومعها كانسر وكان عندي كل ايمان بانه رح صليلة رح تشفى وفعلا بعد اسبوع عملوا التحاليل طلعت مش في شفاء كامل ما في مع سرطان نهائيا انا انا كثير فرحان انا كثير فرحان بانه بسبب الموهبه اللي رب اعطاها لعبده هي موهبه شفاء بانه بلش الناس تعرف على المسيح هذا فرع عظيم جدا لا يقدر بثمن وهدول الناس كثير ضايعين ضايعين بافكار وشغلات ابدا مو صح يعني بس هن يسمعوا عن عن الحب والمحبه الحقيقيه اللي هن اكثر شيء محتاجين لهذا الشيء انه كثير بينبسطوا كنت عايش حياه طبيعيه لما اتجهت للدين المسيحي تغيرت حياتي كلها وصارت للافضل وان شاء الله راح تصير الافضل من هيك فانا كنت انسان ضايع دخل المسيح لقلبي وتعرفت عليه وانا صار عندي يقين مطلق انه هو اللي بده يخلصني وهو اللي بده يعطينا حياه ابديه كنت عايشة قبل بفترة من حياتي الأولى بتعاسي بألم أشعر أني خايفة من كل شيء حولي أني بخاف من الناس أني ما بثق بحدا فجأة دخل يسوع المسيح لحياتي غيره صرت أثق بكل شيء أثق بالمستقبل أثق بأنه مخلص أثق بأنه قلنا حياة تانية إن شاء الله بدنا نعيشها وأحسن الدروز المؤمنين اللي وضعوا ثقتهم في المسيح انتقلوا من الموت للحياة فرح عظيم جدا فرح عظيم جدا بقدر ما اشوف اخ مؤمن درزي بيخبر شخص ثاني يخبره على المسيح
In Matthew chapter 24, verse 14, it says, And the gospel of the kingdom will be preached in the whole nation as a testimony to all nations, and then the end will come. Again, those words, um, the whole world, are those same words in the original Greek language, ta ethne, all ethnic groups, all people groups. And so Jesus was saying that one of the signs of the end times, one of the signs that Jesus is coming back is that every people group will have a gospel witness in it. And here's the thing. 50 years ago, this was an impossibility. It was impossible to reach all these ethnic groups, all these different people groups. But now, through the concerted effort of churches and and Christian organizations and through the, the continued expanse of technology, this is now within reach within our generation. How many of you are familiar with Wycliffe Bible translators? Any of you? They translate, obviously, most of all the translations from the original language into the different languages of the world. And it used to be an enormous process of being able to put the Bible into another language, but they're now able to start a new language every 14 days because of the change of technology. And the things that used to take years to do now are just taking months. And they estimate that by 2025 that they'll have a Bible in every single language on this planet. In 2025, it's just nine years away from, from right now, every language will have a Bible. This has never, ever happened in history, and it's happening in our lifetime. In the book, Faith Equation, Dr. Marvin Bittinger, who's a professor of mathematics at Purdue University and author of over 175 college math textbooks, he claims by the year 2033, every person on the planet capable of understanding the gospel will have been presented the gospel according to how modern-day evangelism trends are happening. In just 17 years, 2033, every person on the planet capable of understanding the gospel will be presented the gospel. This is happening in our generation. Right now, 34,000 people come to Jesus every single day in South America. 28,000 to 37,000 Chinese people come to Jesus every day. 23,000 to 25,000 African people come to Jesus every day. 16,000 Muslims come to Jesus every day. When we believe in one holy worldwide apostolic church, that means we're part of something so much bigger than ourselves. We're part of a worldwide body of believers that are rallying behind each other for the first time ever in history. And there's a joint mission for us to accomplish and to complete. And this only happens when we come together. And it starts, yes, right here in Little Spicewood, Briarcliff, Lake Travis, Lakeway area. And it expands into the whole greater Austin region and expands throughout the world. I was reading this past week, my, my oldest daughter graduated from college and I was reading about an article about how the next generation of high schoolers coming into college and what their thinking is. And one of the, there was a teenager that was a, a guy that was, that was interviewed and he, came, he was coming from a Christian high school and he was asked this question of what he planned to do with his life. And he replied this way. He said, uh, I'm going to get through college, get a good job, make good money, have a good life. And I guess just hope America survives. This may have been a teenager, but I wonder how many of us are kind of living our life that way. I just want to have a good job. I just want to make good money. I want to have a good family. 
And I'm just hoping somehow America survives as we come into this year of voting in a new president. I just want to have a good job. I want to make good money. I want to have a good life. And I'm just hoping somehow America survives. That may be how you are thinking. But let me expand that just a little bit, folks, because we need to get a worldwide perspective of what God is doing. Because we're living in incredible times in the living Bible. In Proverbs 18, verse 13, it reflects this kind of view of life. It says, what a shame is how stupid to decide before knowing the facts. I kind of feel like that's how we're living our life. Our lives get so small. We're looking at what's happening here in Texas. We're looking at what, how it's happening, you know, in the United States. And that's, the, that's as big as we can think. But we need to understand that God is bringing millions and millions and millions of men and women and children to himself from every people, tribe, language, and nation. This is what he is doing. God's challenging churches across the world to revive and to evangelize and to reach out to their cultures. He's linking up global partnerships between churches and Christian organizations, and he's planning churches in every single one of these high-range people groups. This is what he is doing. He is building the church. And I'm telling you, the gates of hell will not prevail against it. This is what God is doing. And here's the thing. When you know this, when you know what God is doing, when you know what he's doing across the world, when you know how he's working in our day, that's when you're going to be able to find your place. That's when you'll find your place in the world because you're going to see what God is doing. You're seeing how he is working. Jesus said in John 4 verse 35, says, do not say four months more. And then the harvest, I tell you, open your eyes and look at the fields. They are ripe for harvest. You and I are living in the middle of a wonderful, terrifying, exciting, challenging, ripe harvest field. And there are more miracles that are happening in our generation than ever before. But if all you're doing is just looking at your own thumb, your own life, you're going to miss out. You're going to miss out on this unprecedented time in history. This is the one of the most breathtaking seasons and moments in, in history. And so I want to encourage you. I want to challenge you to get your eyes off of your thumb. Get your eyes off of your own life. And I want to encourage you to look at the beauty of what God is doing worldwide, where he's taken his body fitted and joined together, building itself in love from Turkmenistan to Texas. This is what God is doing. When you came in here this morning, you should have received a little puzzle piece, right? If you would, I want you to take it out real quick. And I want you to look at it. Because this puzzle piece represents you. And when you look at it, it's unique. It's beautiful, <laughs> isn't it? You are beautiful. You are unique. God intricately created you with things that nobody else has. And no piece of this puzzle there's none other like the piece that you're holding in your hand. Every single one is just a little bit different. But as incredible and as unique and as beautiful as this puzzle piece is, it only finds its significance when it connects with the other pieces. And I want to challenge you that that's the same with your life. 
Yes, your life has beauty. Yes, your life has value. But you'll only experience true significance when your peace, your, your life is connected with other believers in this worldwide, incredible, beautiful thing that we call church that's around the world that God is building and establishing. I want to pray for you here as we begin to end here this morning. Father, I thank you. God, I thank you that you put us in a family. God, that we're not orphans out there in the world just trying to survive and just trying to live our lives out on our own. But God, you put us together in a family, in a body, in a church, in a worldwide community of believers. And Lord, I pray for every single person here in this room, every person who feels alone and isolated, maybe who's been offended or hurt, maybe who's been distracted by differences, and as a result has been completely disconnected and put out of the game. God, I pray for each one there who's trying, is struggling, trying to find significance, trying to find their part in this world, who's just trying to have a good life, just trying to have a good job and good money and a good family, and just hoping that America survives. Lord, I pray for every one of us here this morning that our eyes would come off of ourselves, that our eyes would come off of where we live and the nation in which we live, and God, that we would see a bigger picture of what you're doing all across this world. Lord, I pray you'd stir our hearts. God, I know that even in this room, Lord, you're stirring hearts to go, to go to these unreached people groups, these unengaged people groups. Lord, I know you're stirring in their hearts. And so, Father, I pray that they wouldn't be swept up by culture. They wouldn't be swept up by what other people are doing. They wouldn't be swept up with just what's happening around them. But God, that fire that's in their heart would not grow dim but, Father, you would burn inside of them. And, Lord, they would be willing to just continue to say, yes, I'm willing. I'll do what you want me to do. And, Lord, I pray for every one of us, God, that we would be ones that would, would freely share what you've done, who Jesus is in every marketplace, in every home, in every business, in every school, classroom, with every person. Lord, that we would not be ashamed in any sort of way but God, that we would see ourselves and what's happening all across this world in a, in a better and a greater perspective. Lord, I pray, God, that you would stir this in our hearts here this morning. Let that fire just grow inside of us here today. You know, the Bible describes for us that something that happens all across this world when believers come together, when you think about it, right here and right now, people all across the world are doing exactly what you and I are doing. And Jesus said that when we come together, remember him. The Bible describes that the night Jesus was betrayed, he took the bread and he broke it. And he said, this is my body and it's broken for you. He willingly and freely gave his life for you so that you can have life and life more abundantly. It's something that we get to receive and then pass on and share to others. And so he says, we gather together. Let's do this here together. Let's remember what he's done. And then after supper, he took the cup and he said, this is my blood of the new covenant that's poured out for you for the forgiveness 
of your sins. Do this in remembrance of me. You know, I can't think of anything more illustrative of what we're talking about, this one holy worldwide and apostolic church. I can't think of one greater way of being able to demonstrate that than by taking communion here together. In this room, there's lots of differences. But yet when we come to this table, the ground is level. Nobody's greater, nobody's less. We're all sinners saved by grace. And if you've never made a decision to follow after Jesus, I want to encourage you right here, right now, you can do that. The Bible says that we'll just confess with our mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in our heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For all who call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. And then here, this is a physical act of what you've just decided. Here at One Chapel, we, we celebrate what's called open communion, which means this. You don't have to be a member of this church to take and partake of communion. This is a table Jesus set for all believers, every tribe, language, nation. It's all for us. If you're a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ, I want to invite you to this table.